Welcome to Establish the Edge. I'm your host, Mike Leone, back with round two of the Offseasons Projections Podcast Special with Ben Gretsch. Episode one, if you want to check that up, is up on the Establish the Edge podcast feed on iTunes. It's also on the Establish the Run YouTube channel. Make sure you subscribe, give us a like, helps us to keep doing content like this. This, again, is episode two. We're going to be looking at the NFC East. Episode one was the AFC East. I'm joined again by Ben Gretsch, who you can find at bengretsch.substack.com. You can also find him on the Rotoviz podcast, Stealing, Sig- Stealing Bananas with Sean Siegel, and also on Ship Chasing on Wednesday nights with our friends Pat Crane and Peter Overset. Ben, thanks for coming back for round two. Yeah, round one was fun. We get to some better teams here. I mean, we had a we had a fun time just talking about the AFC East, but now we get to have an Ezekiel Elliott discussion. We get to talk about AJ Brown with the Eagles. We get to talk about you know Brian Dable with the Giants. There's a lot of fun stuff here. Yeah, and we'll start with the play calling for Dallas right away. You can see if you're watching on the YouTube channel, we've got the division odds up. Dallas plus 135 to win the NFC East. We've got them. We both have them for around 66 to 66 and a half plays and a 61% pass rate. Really similar stuff in terms of the projected play calling. I might have like a slightly heavier pass tilt, but emphasis on the slightly. For Dak Prescott, that nets out with really similar projections for him in four-point passing TD formats. We each have him projected for around 340 passing points, which I think makes him you know, a strong target in the back end of the top 10 quarterbacks, a uh, decent value. If you miss out on the elite top six, not a whole ton to talk about with Dak. I don't think Ben, but at running back, we do have one of our bigger disagreements right away, possibly foreseen with me being a little heavier on Ezekiel Elliott's rushing volume and you a little bit lower. Yeah. I, I mean, actually I look at this and I'm like, I thought the thing I would have to defend is that I have Pollard for a couple more targets, actually, and everyone talks about Zeke's pass block and everything. You guys have Zeke for just a couple more targets. So the receiving stuff we seem to agree could be pretty split this year. Don't think I even have to really defend that stance too much. The rushing side is interesting, and I'll just say I've been viewing it all offseason like 2022 could look a lot different than 2021. Everyone loves to say that in 2021 – Pollard was good, but he couldn't earn any more work. Um, But I think Dallas was in a position with Zeke's contract where there was so much guaranteed money into 2022 where they really had no choice. I'm not saying they were trying to trade him, but to bench him would have really screwed them to potentially get the like David Johnson deal out, you know, maybe where, where, where the Cardinals were able to move David Johnson just basically by giving him a lot of work and then trade him to the Texans. They, they were probably never going to get that. They probably never wanted that. But they almost had no no reason to bench him last year, like based on his contract for this year. I could see 2022 being different because they do have an out after this year. You get to week eight, you get to week 10. If it looks a lot like last year, I think it's easier in the building to justify saying, okay, we're going to be moving on from Zeke in a few months anyway. We might actually want to go with the guy that we think gives us a better chance to win. And the other note on that is Pollard is also an impending free agent. He's on the last year of his rookie deal. And so anyone who's saying, oh, they would just run Zeke into the ground before they cut him. Well, they probably want to see what they can get out of Pollard before he, you know, potentially gets a Chase Edmonds deal in free agency or something. 
I think this year could be a little different. And I think there is this possibility that Pollard could be closer in rush attempts. I think that's it's more of a ceiling case, though, for me, for Pollard. I mean, listen, everything you're saying makes logical sense, but that does not mean the Dallas Cowboys are going to do that, is what I come back to. And yeah, you know, last year it felt like, okay, Zeke sucks. They're moving in Pollard more, but Pollard out carried Zeke once last year in the playoff game where, you know, chips were on the table. Ezekiel Elliott, 57% carry share, Tony Pollard, 19% carry share. So I just don't see it changing that much uh, from a base scenario. I do think the upside for Pollard's pretty good. Pollard is the back that I want at cost for sure out of this Dallas backfield. Zeke is, you know, he's going in the dead zone and he is your dead zone type running back, which is, you know, he has some projectable volume on an offense that's supposed to be good. But if the offense isn't good, you know, it could go south in a hurry for Zeke. Uh, so I'm certainly out on him in like, you know, when you get into homely casual redrafts, he's going to go in like the third round and, and that's too much. But I, I'm like, I'm like, okay with him at the back end of the dead zone, but we'll see. Um, definitely, definitely agree on Pollard's upside. You I just think Zeke is what we're, what we're getting at. You, yeah. you just absolutely love him. Uh, like, this is the style all our arguments go is I'm like, like compared to the entire scope of the fantasy industry, I like am like the 98th percentile of Zeke hatred, but uh, you, Pat and Peter are in the the hundredth percentile and it makes me look like I'm, I'm all the way on the, like we need to zoom out and look at the whole spectrum and like where my stance really is. I love how you were like, yeah, Pollard's the target. No Zeke. But I mean, the, the, clearly you, your projection, the numbers don't lie way higher on Zeke. At least yeah. like so to, to give the audience, the numbers, I have Zeke at 236 rush attempts, Ben has 191 rush attempts. And in terms of targets, I have 54, Ben has 51. This nets out in, yeah, about 40 point differential in full and half PPR formats. To be clear, you're, you're way closer to accurate. I'm aggressive here. And 25 points higher you are on Tony Pollard as a result of that. But yeah, I think like from more of a field perspective, we're probably more aligned. Like we both would want to target Tony Pollard in drafts. I'm probably more open to grabbing a falling price tag on Zeke where he's more like, I'd assume a full fade for you. Essentially a full fade for me. Yeah. Let's go to wide receiver CeeDee Lamb. I've had a lot of trouble projecting because on one standpoint, it seems like he should have an insane season he was a prospect that we liked, had a pretty good first couple of seasons. Amari Cooper's gone. It seems like he's just has to earn a whole ton of targets in this offense. And yet there's something that's holding me back just a little bit. Maybe I'm scarred from our FFPC playoff challenge disaster, Ben. But, you know, in a playoff game, he comes out and, you know, he puts up a target share of 11% with like absolutely no success while Amari Cooper and Cedric Wilson get up to 23% target shares in that game. And again, I'm not leaning. I I don't want to sound like I'm leaning off one target game. It's just an example of, I don't know if it's safe to just say because Amari Cooper is gone that, you know, CD lamb is going to be a 28% target share guy. 
And he didn't take the step forward that we wanted him to last year. His target spot run rose a little bit, but not a ton. They were still clearly above Amari and Gallup. It was a pretty spread offense, but he was the like the best of the bunch. You expect in year two the jump, and we see that typically. I, I've been looking at it like it wasn't bad. He took a small step forward. He also didn't get like the full route share all year, like we had been hoping for, which he didn't get in year one either. And so, um, you know, he did at times, but when Gallup was on the field and, and Amari was on the field, he he got cut a little bit at times. That playoff game was really interesting how they played him on the outside. They played Cedric Wilson in the slot. Cedric Wilson just ate up in the slot. They go out, they get James Washington, Jalen Tolbert. It looks like Lamb might get to play more in the slot this year. That route thing where he didn't run the full number of routes is the real key for me where he has shown some targets per route run potential, and I think he could take a good third-year leap. But it's this is the player that's most similar to like the targets per route run profile of Cooper Cup last year. I don't want to say he's going to mm-hmm. have a Cooper Cup-like season. Cup took a huge jump in targets per route run and a huge jump in efficiency. I mean, he was elite across the board. But – one of the key things with Cup was he had never really run 100% of, tar- uh, of routes. Like, it was always Robert Woods who ran the full routes. He had the better targets per route run, but his routes were never full. He became that full route guy last year, and his targets per route run improved. Lamb has that. He has the potential to add routes still, which is actually yeah. this hidden upside a little bit here. We would He's also likely... To add routes. He's likely to add routes. He's very likely to. We'd also like to see the targets per route run increase as well. If it does, his his targets go up a lot. And he's been very efficient after earning the target. He's been very efficient yards per target. He's been good at scoring touchdowns. He's even been really efficient on the few handoffs he's gotten. He's had really explosive, you know, rushing yards per carry. Very, very small sample. But looks like a guy who, when he has the ball in his hands, is good at the NFL level at creating. So uh, I'm pretty optimistic still, even though we didn't see the year two jump we wanted. Yeah, so we each have him around 140 targets, which is about a 20-target jump from last season. He did miss one game last season, playing 16 out of the 17 games. I think he's... he. I, I just feel like he's being drafted at his peak, which is fine. Like, if I'm at the 1-2 turn and I want to start with wide receiver, I'm taking CeeDee Lamb. But I still think he's behind Diggs, Adams, and then the clear top three wide receivers for me. Yep. Um, which is really the conversation because it's almost like he's the clear. Like, there's not much room to go lower than that on him. I don't think. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's almost like he should be even cheaper, but there just isn't really anyone else to take that spot. Yes. I mean, that's, that's what it's well felt put. like. To me. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly how I feel. Going to the other receivers, I'm a little more cautious on Gallup's health. I think he had his surgery in February. Um, early February. So these ACL return guys are a nightmare for us to project. I mean, you, one day you read, oh, this guy's going to be back week one. Another day it's like, oh, they're taking it slow. There's no chance, you know, he even play. He's going to be on pop. He's going to miss six games. And it's like, it's very difficult, quite frankly. And we'll keep adjusting stuff as we get more information. Um, so I right did, now. I, yeah, I, I have him a lot higher on target. Sorry to, sorry to cut in, but I, I did three missed games. And I put him at a 19% target share, three missed games, and that's where I landed for mine. You're a little bit lower, but I mean, I think I might be too optimistic. Yeah, I think there, I think there's a decent. I think he, God, I, 
So I, I heard like a rumor the other day that someone said he was going to be ready week one. But I mean, just looking at the timeline stuff and what we've seen historically, it seems like he's a lock to miss that first month. Uh, could be wrong, but I think there's like a legitimate chance he misses half this season. Uh, but that's, you know, it's a big variable. We're not sure one way or the other when he is back and healthy. It's a great setup for him because, you know, volume was the only thing sort of holding him back a little bit. CD and, and Amari were taking that and now Amari's gone. Uh, so we have James Washington for similar targets. I have Jalen Tolbert, the rookie, a lot higher because of the Michael Gallup being conservative on him. That's kind of hinging. I was kind of excited to see you with 70 targets on James Washington. I right now have Gallup, Washington, and Tolbert split completely evenly in target share. But James Washington's been one of my preferred last round best ball picks. You know, he's not someone you're ever going to take and manage. Like it just, he's never going to move the needle. I don't think in managed, but if Gallup misses a lot of time, if Tolbert, you know, as a rookie just takes a little bit longer to maybe take over the role or just, it doesn't happen for him. You're one. All of a sudden you get James Washington with a massive quarterback upgrade, massive team upgrade, seeing more targets, kind of interesting late round best ball pick for me. I don't want to talk too much about him because like yeah, that's the cap, but I agree. And I, I, one thing I think is interesting, you mentioned there's not a ton to talk about with Dak, but I mean, Amari for as much crap as I've always given you for being uh, uh, in on him. He has been very efficient the last few years, especially when you depth adjust, you look at it in terms of you know, where his a dot was. I like to look at a, a depth adjusted version of Josh Herms Myers racer stat. He's been mm -hmm. strong the last few years. Washington has not uh, over the last several years while in Pittsburgh um, Gallup has not been as good. So for Dak, I was kind of like trying to goose his efficiency up. I thought it was interesting that my completion percentage is quite a bit higher than yours. He's been, very effective in terms of completion percentage the last couple of years. Um, I, Washington might be going into a really nice spot is where I'm going with this, especially if Gallup is not healthy. It, it also could be a reason to really like Lamb as well because some of that Amari stuff, I mean, Amari's been good again, and, and his ADOT has not been particularly high. Washington has always had a high ADOT. If Washington can work into that intermediate range or if it means more for CeeDee Lamb underneath, I don't think Tolbert as a rookie steps right into that. You know, Cooper is, uh, you know, is gone and, and wasn't like amazing, but he did have a, a pretty sizable role this offense. It does leave something that has to be filled. And I think Dak's a, you know, a pretty good quarterback. So, yeah, I mean, if it's Washington that, that gets to play a pretty solid all around wide receiver role, get some targets at lower depths than he never really got when he was with Pittsburgh, he could be interesting. At tight end, you have Dalton Schultz at 108 targets. I have 99 targets. Uh, we end up in half PPR formats, about 17 points apart. He's someone that we've been behind ADP on pretty much all offseason, and he seems to just keep getting richer in ADP. He is an underdog to tight end six. He's going at 66 overall. We have him 82nd overall. I think even with Ben's projection, probably would put him behind ADP uh, in those ranks. I, this is to a certain extent, it's the CD Lamb problem where, like, Schultz filled in, played admirably last year, and the target share is there for the taking. I've just always been conservative. And one of the problems with the projections is thrusting volume upon guys that, you know, maybe 
don't deserve it just because it's there, just because there's a target void left from other players. And I, I don't know how aggressive to be here. He's been a difficult player to project. We have him again, 99 targets, which seems like a lot. It's about a 16 and a half percent target share. Yeah. I haven't 17%. Um, so a little bit higher, maybe am I a little higher on our, I, our stuff scales down a little bit. That's pre. So we, a lot of times to be conserved, building conservative, we have like 106% target share. So once he gets scaled down, it's more like a 15 and a half percent target Got share. It. Yeah. I mean, I think he's an interesting one. Um, I don't like the price right away. I'll say that, but everything I just said about, you know, some of Amari's role, it's gotta be filled by someone. Schultz was, I, from sort of a film watcher perspective, and I don't get into this too much, but was very much like Dak's safety blanket when they were when I felt like when the receivers were hurt more last year, he would lean on Schultz more when they were in you know, come from behind mode. He would have some drives where he just checked down to Schultz like four times in a row, and Schultz would start to rack up a bunch of catches. He has some good games in those types of scripts. I don't think he's dynamic. His targets per out run don't say he's dynamic. There is certainly a, an opportunity if Jarwin's gone, who's I think Jarwin's still floating as a free agent. He's probably not going to be back for him to run a ton of routes. He's not going to win you your league, and he's too expensive. Like I, it's, it doesn't make me a target. Like I'm, I'm usually striving for a wide, like a, an upside wide receiver pick in this range. It's not a, a tight end pick that I want to make, but I could also see where he can have a you know a top five tight end season pretty pretty comfortably with that void in the underneath area if like washington's more vertical gallup when he comes back is more vertical and schultz and lamb are eating up all the stuff that used to go to schultz and lamb and cooper you know inside 10 yards yeah it, it seems it doesn't seem like a great bet to me but i do understand where dallas is an offense that's going to run a ton of plays as a result they're going to throw a lot not necessarily because they're super aggressive passing but just you run a ton of plays if you're neutral passing it's gonna be more pass attempts than average and it can be hard Again, if you're not drafting CeeDee Lamb at the one-two turn, which is pretty rich to really get exposure to the passing offense, you know, Washington, as we hit on, I mean, that's still just a, a late-round best ball pick. So I think some of that enthusiasm just gets flooded to Schultz. It's like, well, let's draft Dalton Schultz you know, to get our access to the, to the Dallas game. And yeah, it seems like a poor bet to me. That is current ADP. And his, his, his uh, touchdown rate was pretty inflated last year. Probably has to come back as well. I definitely scaled it back from last year. So there's some things that are working against him too. We'll go over to Philly where we've got them both calling around 37 pass plays per game, 27 run plays per game. That's a called pass percentage of 58%. Uh, I, I must have their sack rate a little bit higher because you do net out with 32 pass attempts per game. I'm at 31 pass attempts per game, even though our initial inputs are pretty similar. So I think I have their sacks a little bit higher, but ultimately we're pretty close on Philly, expecting them to run like slightly above average amount of plays per game and to throw the ball more than last year. This team to me, Ben, has a huge range of outcomes in what we could see them do. So I'm looking at last year, if you just average their pass rate over expectations by week, they ended up including the playoffs at a minus 5.5% PROE. But if you're just looking at, if we just look at the regular season, week seven to 18, it was an average of minus 12%. The first, you know, six weeks of the season was plus five and a half percent. So 
there's different narratives you can tell yourself here. One narrative is they came out throwing. It didn't work. They became a run-heavy team. It was successful. They're going to be run-heavy again this year. I'm more on a different narrative, which is they wanted to throw. It didn't work. They kind of got stuck doing this run-heavy scheme, and you know they they were in the playoff hunt, and they had to sort of stick with it, but it's not who they want to be long-term. And we see them make a big trade for A.J. Brown, which – to me signals, you know, they're not going to just run the ball an insane amount when you've got AJ Brown, Devonta Smith and Dallas Goddard. I think we see Jalen Hurts drop back more frequently than we did last year. And we both come out at a 58% pass rate. So I think we're like thinking somewhat similarly, but I could honestly see that swing in either direction by a decent margin. Yeah. I think you said that really well. I mean, I completely agree. Nothing to add. <laughs> I, like, I I think it's funny and that like, on, on the same pass spot because I, I that the pass rate over expected stuff is I mean they had that stretch from week seven to week thirteen where they were minus twelve first expectation every game for seven straight games I mean it's just a crazy stretch they didn't hit that number any other game in the beginning or the end of the year I don't know what to make of it yeah it's very difficult but it's like I wish their prices were better because I feel like part of me is like oh I, I've got this angle that. They could throw a lot more and be really good. And the ceiling's huge. But it seems like the market's taking that into account, unfortunately. Um, a little bit. I I don't know. Let me let me look at the current ADPs on FFPC because that's kind of like a good mix between like, you know, maybe not as sharp as uh underdog, but still sharp. Like that's a good mix draft. So looking at Philly ADPs on FFPC, AJ Brown. Yeah, he's going off his wide receiver 11. Goddard's going off his tight end 8. Devonta Smith's going off his wide receiver 35. Hurts at QB 7. I think those are about right. Um, so it's it's hard for me to find out where to profit from this offense, even though I do see some meaningful upside. Uh, yeah, I they're they're expensive, but I I do like your your comment that they could be. I mean, they they're I mean, this has probably been said a lot, but a, a fair bet to be sort of the the Bills a few years ago where they came out and just a lot pass heavier than anyone really expected. Mm-hmm. I mean, you see the Devonta pick two years ago, and they started the year that way. They went away from it. Then they go get A.J. Brown, and, like, now do they feel like they have what they need to be that team? Like, that's that's one way to interpret it. Um, there, I think the gap and sort of some of our play stuff is I have a good amount of designed runs for Jalen Hurts, like a really high amount because they called quite a few last year. Maybe I'm too high on that. I think they do want to like, you know, design stuff with him, obviously run with Miles Sanders a good amount. It's a, it's an interesting team. If they do come out and throw a ton though, I mean, I'll say this as we get into like Jalen Hurts projection, I had a really hard time with his projection because I wound up with a ton of rushing. Because I, you know, had his design rates, you know, even scaled back from last year, but but pretty high. And then I wound up with just way more efficiency as a passer. He was not that efficient last year, but Devonta Smith was pretty efficient. Dallas Goddard was pretty efficient. Quez Watkins, even in a, you know, not great at earning targets, but was pretty efficient. They had some other guys like Rager who were very inefficient. And then you add in AJ Brown, who with everything he can do after the catch and, and contested catches and everything just looks like a guy who creates efficiency for his quarterback. And now if it's Brown Smith Goddard with Quez Watkins as maybe this, you know, fourth, 
but it's pretty concentrated among three guys that look like they're efficient players. I'm either really scaling back those players' efficiency or I'm projecting Jalen Hurts to be a much better passer in terms of you know yards per attempt and, and TD rate. It's interesting. He's got weapons. <laughs> so you can't say he doesn't have weapons. And for me right now, the easiest way to get access to the Philly offense has been to honestly just take Hurts, and he's someone that you don't necessarily have to stack because, you know, especially in manage, because the rushing upside is so huge. I even... Like I like Hertz with a more conservative rushing projection, a more conservative passing efficiency projection than you have. And I still think he's a top six QB. You know, I think he should go before where his ADP is. He's been one of my favorite, him and Lamar Jackson have been my two favorite quarterback targets so far this year. I'm, I'm kind of into expensive quarterbacks in that range of the draft. And yeah, I have his efficiency coming up for a lot of the reasons you said, not quite as high just because, you know, at we're still anchoring that, you know, he's a 59% career completion percentage. We have him at 62.6%. So our first to bump up too much, but I, I see, again, the ceiling cases here are, are huge. And like, what if, what if they're league average pass rate? You know, it's like just league average. That's all. And, and it could be, could be a boon. So I like Hertz. I do like Kenny Gainwell too. If we go to the shift to the running backs, uh, he's been someone I've taken a lot as a late round running back. And he's he's got the dual narrative thing too, Ben, where you can tell yourself the narrative that you know he started off the year hot, but then he got phased out as they went to this ground heavy game. So he's kind of useless. To me, as someone who thinks they're going to throw more, who's not reading into that run heavy second half of the season where they made the playoff run that much, maybe I'm overly discounting it. I kind of see a prospect that we liked who, if you just look at average production over the course of the year, was a pretty strong signal that, you know, JJ Zacharias in, in his prospect guide and his year two model, which is just a straight model, like that input from year one's production was like really favorable for Kenny Gainwell in JJ's model. And if you think they pass more, like Kenny Gainwell would be a back. That's, that's a part of that. So I like Gainwell a ton. I'm torn on Miles Sanders. I know Silva loves Miles Sanders. Levitan's kind of into him because he's so cheap. Uh, but is he is he going to be what what is what do you call him? About a trap back? Yeah, I mean that's what it feels like, right? I mean, I, I said the targets are really tough because I thought Gainwell and Sanders could both beat the numbers that I came to, mm-hmm. um, and I was already cutting the running back rate a little bit to get to a higher wide receiver rate because this is a team that's had a high tight end rate, high running back rate, really low wide receiver target rate positionally over the last few years. But now you have A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith as your top two receivers, and you don't have you know Zach Ertz, who was at the beginning of the year. I mean, he got traded to Arizona midseason. They still have the two tight end thing going. I, I don't think they're going to throw their backs and their tight ends as much as they have the last few years. I mean, especially if you go back to like 2019, 2018, they had these massive tight end target rates. So I wound up kind of not thrilled on, on the targets for either of them. And if you're right on Gainwell, I did lean a little bit more Gainwell on the targets. And I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic on him. If he's really sort of more the guy in the passing game. Yeah. That would make Sanders more of a trap back would mean essentially that most of his touches are low value rushes that are not in near the red zone either, which we saw last year, right? Boston's it's kind of funny. He had no rush TDs, but they still ran for a ton of touchdowns as a team hurts had the 10, but also they still had like 
seven or more yeah, running back ones, 10 maybe. I can't remember how many, but Boston Scott had like five. Gainwell had like four, and, and Jordan Howard had a couple as well. There's a, I mean, there's a yeah, yeah running back. I do, and Sanders got none. It does feel like Sanders has to just run a little bit luckier in that department. Sure. Um, he, he was frustrated. He was asked by fantasy on this one interview, and he was just kind of like, it's not my fault. I'm not scoring points. Didn't exactly inject me with a lot of confidence in his uh fantasy prowess there but yeah i I just love the game well but especially in managed he's so cheap where like if they're doing the bullshit run heavy stuff you you can cut them early enough that it's not huge opportunity cost but if they're not he could be a startable guy on a zero rb team just because of the pass catching stuff and then you have the path to upside i'll stop going off about kenny gainwell but big fan of him i'll let you I'll let you go off on AJ Brown, who we're lighter on than the market right now, but I don't like, I don't love it. I really like AJ Brown. So it's like really tough for me. Yeah. He was one of the top, I think he was fourth among receivers with any decent number of routes and targets per out run behind Devonta Adams, Cooper cup and Antonio Brown, who also sort of part-time, but always had the really high per route rates when he was playing with the Bucks last year. Um, I saw a really interesting stat from Jacob Gibbs over at CBS that said uh, target share per snap. And so just slightly different than targets per route run. Uh, still kind of controlling for when the player's actually on the field. And Brown led the league in that that version uh, by a couple percentage points. He was well ahead of, you know, like 37%. And, and Cup and Adams, I think, were at 35%. So you have this guy who, and you go back to college, he was really good at earning targets, but when he, when he leaves Tennessee and goes to another low-volume passing game, that's sort of the narrative on him. I think people are forgetting that Tennessee didn't always play him huge snaps. Some of that was injury. Some of that was they had some weird, like, game script stuff sometimes where they, again, probably still related to injury, but, like, when they went really run-heavy at times, they were just like, we're not even going to stress A.J. Brown. So he would play, like, 70% of the snaps. Or I mean, he even has mm-hmm. games last year where he played, like, 50% of the snaps and he was ostensibly healthy. One of the things I'm thinking with him is the change of scenery, even though it is, you know, sort of feels like going from a bad spot to a bad spot, could just make him a full time player. It could just be different. It it reeks of Stephon Diggs a few years ago when he went from the Vikings to the Bills, and everyone thought bad spot to bad spot. Yet Vikings weren't necessarily using Diggs the way that we as fantasy managers would have liked right or, or thought made sense they weren't using him very effectively there was room for things to get better that's essentially the case i would make for aj brown is that the titans didn't always maximize uh what aj brown's potential could be if the eagles are more you know intentional about that he has this really high target earning ability and then he's a guy with size with yak ability that after he earns targets he's going to be efficient as well i mean it just I haven't looked at this in the last couple of years, but I know back in his rookie year, he got into a really elite cohort in terms of just two cutoffs, a high enough a dot and, and then uh, a total number of yak. So yak yeah. correlates negatively with, with a dot. He's a downfield guy that also creates after the catch. It puts him in a cohort with guys like Calvin Johnson, Julio Jones, Terrell Owens, their best seasons of their careers. Uh, AJ Brown became in this co- cohort of like, you know, 15 seasons since, we had the A dot data um, of fifteen player seasons. There's a you know a couple years of Calvin Johnson, a couple years of Julio that are in there, like their best years. And AJ Brown was that guy already as a rookie. He's probably made that group again, frankly. 
But that type of profile means you're going to be efficient after the catch. You get downfield work and you create with the ball in your hand. So if he's a target dominant player with that, and if the role can be a little bit better, more routes, if they pass more, there's there's paths to him running more routes. I don't know. I, I'm never going to be low on A.J. Brown, but I think it's <laughs> no, I, very valuable. I really like I like the AJ Brown ceiling. I do if I was pushing back a little, as much as the upside case we're making for Philly, I mean he did still go from a Tennessee situation where he was able to have like a huge target share on an offense that, you know, based on their personnel packages, inflated, you know, targets per route run for the wide receivers. And he was highly efficient in all those years. So there's part of me that's like, you know. I can see where it doesn't look like the best spot, but it, it was, I think like all things equal was actually like a, a pretty decent spot. For I think him. his targets brought run do come down. I agree with you. Tennessee um, was good in that regard. And then you've got, we, like we're excited that they're going to throw more, but we're still projecting them two to three points below league average. And you've got running backs who can catch the ball in this offense. You've got Devonta Smith, you know, Kez Watkins is lingering. They gave Zach Pascal some money. It's like hard to give him nothing. Like I don't, I, I only am for 20 targets, but it's like hard, you know, like it just makes me think this could be spread out, like just a touch annoyingly where, um, and then you've got Goddard, of course, who's going to be one of the higher targeted tight ends in the league. So I think Zach his, Pascal I, is why I have to be worried about AJ. Brown no, but <laughs> I know it sounds silly, but I do think there's teams where I'm like super confident like Cincinnati where it's, it's going to be three guys, right? Like, and that's it. I, I think Philly is three guys plus, plus a couple other bodies, you know, working in, I think they could be kind of annoying. Um, just whether it's Zach Pascal or somebody else, but I think guys are going to rotate in and, and it's going to be a little bit annoying. I do like him a lot. I also think this might sound like an overly precise argument, but I do think he's one of the biggest differences in, you know, a half PPR league versus a full PPR league. Uh, when you're thinking of the strength of bat, he might not rack up a hundred plus catches like some other guys. And, and, you know, at that ADP, I might, that might change if I want to make that bet in full PPR and half PPR. I'm fine. Just like betting more. So on the talent and the efficiency. And well, deal with if, one more quick AJ Brown stat. He's had a yards per out run of 2.5 or better all three years, right? If we get over two, it's great. He's at 2.5 or better all three years. Never ran more than 406 routes in a season, partially because of injury, partially because of the offense, all those things. But it's not hard to get to 500, 600 routes when you're – I mean, 600 might be hard in this offense, but 500 when you're A.J. Brown level good. I mean, there's, there's still an A.J. Brown season in here that we haven't seen yet. Yeah. Uh, I just wish he was a touch cheaper. Uh, going to, do you want to talk about Kez at all? I haven't drafted Kez. I know some people have thrown him at the back end. I, I mean, he was really efficient last year, just didn't earn a lot of targets. And I think it's tough to imagine with Brown in the offense where that's going to now spike somehow. But yeah, I mean, he's like an interesting guy to throw in the back. Like you said, deep threat. I think he's pretty clearly the fourth guy. I mean, I, I like him a lot more than, than Pascal, just how he fits with Brown and Smith too, as the field stretcher. Seems like he's going to run a decent number of routes, right? Yeah, I think so. Um, but I just, I think I think there's a lot that needs to go right for him to be valuable. Relevant. Yeah. Um, going to tight end, 
Dallas Goddard, I think he started off the draft season a little bit too hyped, and he's now fallen in a spot where I think he's he's fine. I don't really have a strong take on him one way or the other, and we're pretty similar in the projection. I have 90 targets. You have 96. Uh, again, you're a little bit higher on some of the efficiency for the receivers, which flows you know back to that. You're a little bit higher on Jalen Hurts's completion percentage. So our total, but even still our total gap in tight end premium, which is, you know, magnifying the gap as much as possible is only 15 fantasy points. Uh, any Goddard takes. Yeah. He's just tough because he was so efficient last year. How much do you regress it? I, my initial thought when they got Brown was that he would be the one that would be kind of the most squeezed out of the big three that I would think that Devonta Smith had this room after a, a, an impressive rookie year in his own right, in terms of what he did. Uh, on you know the opportunity that was presented in a very run heavy offense that you know in as a year two receiver he looks like he's ready to step forward i i felt like it was probably more of a concern for goddard the more i've dug into like the projections i'm like man goddard was really good last year too and again that's where i get back to like i have too high of a passing projection for jalen hurts i don't know how to to cut it down it's prop i just I probably have not regressed goddard enough um, yeah or it's and it's hard and the way I- our projections work and I, I know Ben's to an extent is you know, the quarterback talent is going to affect the pass catcher efficiency. The pass catcher efficiency is going to affect the quarterback. It's kind of like a circular thing yeah. where it's all affected. And sometimes it's, it's hard to tell like who should have more pull, especially in a situation that's a little bit new, which certainly AJ Brown replacing dust balls con- constitutes a new situation. Definitely. I mean, going over yeah. to Washington, they're plus 500 to win the uh, NFC East. This another team where we're like really dead on in terms of projected pass percentage. We have them at 60% almost identically. I have them running more plays per game. I have them at 63.8. Ben has them at 62.2. You know, one of the bigger differences that we've had. I'm trying to pull up my so Washington last year ran um 62.9 plays per game two years ago they're a little bit higher it's also a tough argument the one aspect too into plays that we haven't touched on yet Ben that was like if the team's good or not because sometimes these bad teams just that's where I'm at they just they just can't like I was looking at Seattle and in the first episode, I talked about play clock stuff where the time remaining on the play clock when the ball was snapped, if you look at like situation neutral and like Seattle last year who ran an egregiously low amount of plays wasn't even that bad in that department. It just, they, they stunk as a team. They, they couldn't run a lot of plays. So I'm guessing you're factoring, you know, yeah. some risk into Washington there. Yeah. And they're the pass right over expected was about three percentage points towards the run last year. Um, I, I have them very slightly more run heavy than what their Vegas win total for this year, which I think is eight would, would sort of, you know, suggest, but I'm kind of saying, look, they're going to be run heavy. Carson Wentz is not a very good quarterback. They're not going to be a very good offense. I I'm not high on Carson Wentz. That's what's definitely feeding into this. And so I'm saying they're going to, it's going to impact their play volume. Yeah. I'm not high on, on Carson Wentz either. Uh, we'll go to the running backs. And you have Antonio Gibson with 12 more rush attempts. This, this, I think the big difference here is I'm, I'm starting to get a little sketched out on Gibson. Initially, I was like, oh, we get to make you know last year's bet at a cheaper cost. That was kind of my thought going into this. 
Amico is pretty high on Brian Robinson, the rookie that they drafted. And as a result, I just have more rush attempts going to Brian Robinson and JD McKissick. And you have a bit more base volume for Antonio Gibson. But I think I mean, we're close. I've cut him down quite a bit from last year. I'm 12 mm-hmm. carries higher at two, 209 carries. You're at 197. I'm, I'm interested to see that you have his targets pretty strong. I was trying to think through. I mean, we know McKissick's going to play on the obvious passing downs at this point. But I think Gibson's receiving is still I, – I don't want to take Gibson. I just passed on him in my first main event with my ship-chasing buddies, Pat Crane and, and Peter Overzet. I was very against him in a spot where he was falling behind ADP and probably made sense for a zero RB team we were building. And we, we, we ended up – they were in agreement. We passed on him. But I was thinking through the running back targets, like particularly on stuff like design targets, like screens – or any other kind of space stuff. Gibson did a lot, like didn't do a ton at Memphis, but that was more what he was doing at Memphis. Maybe the Brian Robinson draft pick wasn't sort of intentional to free up Gibson for some more like design plays into space, like Tony Pollard type plays, if you will. He's a big fast back, right? That would make sense. So I kept his receiving fairly high. I could definitely be talked into bringing his rushing even lower and having Robinson have more like you have. Yeah, he's he's a tough nut to crack because with our projection, like we have him basically as a break-even play in FFPC, which I'm assuming is where you were drafting him. What spot in the draft were you guys? We were at um, 608. We had the fifth pick. We're coming back in the sixth round. and we Yeah, 608 is kind of tempting for me yeah. where – I do, there's there is again there's part of me that's again I started off the offseason think this is last year's bat at a lower cost I no longer think that but I don't think the upside's completely gone I think sometimes we overreact to I think last year we overreacted to oh all he has to do is catch passes and he has this huge season and like we pumped him a little too much but I think this year we might also be like because it didn't happen for him last year all of a sudden that upside scenario is completely off the table. You know, the, the drafting of Brian Robinson complicates things a little bit because of what it might signal, but I, I don't want to take it completely off the table just because it didn't happen. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, like with DJ Moore, who we'll talk about, like we don't want to take his upside case off the table just because it, it hasn't happened, you know, quite yet. What he's done has been fine. And you know, it's not a perfect analogy, but no, it makes sense. It's just, it's hard to get excited in this offense with Wentz now too, because I just, I yeah. don't think the team's going to be that good. We ended up going Kyler by the way. So like we went with sort of a luxury pick at, cause I view a dead zone back. Gibson is younger, but sort of a quintessential dead zone back in the sense that he's already mm-hmm. shown us some upside was going higher and drafters are not buying it. Right. He's lost a lot of ADP. Typically the wisdom of the crowds on that type of stuff is correct. When, when that guy falls into the dead zone, so I'm a little bit scared of that from the long-term trends. It's you, the guys that come out of the business usually are the first-time breakouts. What's that? No, that's a good point. The just the macro approach of like when guys fall into the dead zone, it's it's usually the start of a, a further fall. Yeah, just so in I'm, general. I'm just kind of concerned about what the market's seeing, and which some of it is the team level stuff, right? Like I like Gibson, man. I was on him last year for sure. It's tough. They add a running back. They add Carson Wentz. I'm not really thrilled about the, the points this team is going to score overall, the touchdown equity, all that stuff. So, Dude, as an aside, in those big overall tournaments, uh, I might be justifying my draft I just did with Silva last night, but when you have an overall component, man, it's hard for me to see 
being able to seriously compete with that without some serious juice at the onesie positions. So I do feel like, yeah, like there's a chance you can get lucky with a 13th round running back that, you know, breaks the year. That's you can't do that at quarterback. So right. it's like, uh, so I probably would have taken Kyler over Gibson too, even though I think it's like an okay price tag for Gibson at that point. Yeah. More uh, structural. Completely agree. McKissick seems to remain fine as a full PPR zero RB back as your startable back, right? Like seems like he's fine. I don't have a lot to say. Do you have anything to add? No, I thought McKissick? I was low on targets. Maybe you're even a little lower than me. So I'm happy to see that. I struggled with the, the running back targets. I was talking about sort of some of the design stuff for Gibson, but I'm with you. Yeah. yeah I mean, McKissick should catch. We have him right about 50 catches, both of us. I think that's, you know, let's value late if you need some points. Yeah, Brian Robinson too. I think is on the, you know, end of draft list as well. I mean, pretty late. We have him as RB fifty eight in FFPC, so it's pretty late. Um, but I think he's there. If you're concerned about Gibson, again, it could go a few different ways, and we're not trying to get take locked on pretending we know exactly which way it's going to go. Okay, Terry McLaurin. It seems like an easy projection to make. Another one I did have a tough time with. Our projection for him actually dipped slightly when we made the change from. Uh, Heineke to Carson Wentz because Carson <laughs> Wentz has been pretty bad. I've thrown around a take, and this maybe is just wish casting or reaching for McLaurin that you know, from a high end efficiency standpoint, Wentz has less upside than a guy like Heineke, but I feel a little bit more comfortable that like Wentz is going to feed McLaurin. You know, we saw the high target share from Michael Pittman last year. Absolutely no idea if there's truth to that. So take it with a grain of salt, but McLaurin's just in a tough range. There's a range of wide receivers. McLaurin, Pittman, and Deontay Johnson all feel similar-ish to me where I'm like, you know, I could I could kind of take it or leave it where they're going. I'll say for like a guy like Deontay, he's really flashed targets per run upside. So I, and he's not been efficient after earning targets. So I, I think there's more ceiling there if he has a really efficient year somehow. It's probably not super likely because he has a low A dot. McLaurin's a guy who's always been pretty efficient, has been good, not great at the targets per run element. He's just run a lot of routes early in his career. They were a really pass-heavy team a couple of times or just had a lot of dropbacks. He is, I think, very good, but not like an elite receiver at this point. He kind of is what he is. I think he could be a target in this range if he was tied to a quarterback where I feel like he could have a really efficient year because his, his targets per run are good enough with strong efficiency to be you know, stud, but they're not great. Tar- you know, his target earning isn't great. And now you have Jahan Dotson, Curtis Samuel coming back. He's never really had competition. This isn't a ton of competition, but it's maybe a little bit more. And I just don't love what his efficiency is going to be. So for me, it's like, yeah, it could be a small win. I, I'm always trying to make these bets that I think are small loss or big win bets. I think McLaurin is a sort of a narrow range player. He's probably a small loss, but he's also probably a small win if he hits for you. Mm-hmm. I see. I, yeah, I kind of, I guess those true receivers I view similarly, and I'd rather take McLaurin and Deontay around after Pittman, but I'm interested to hear what you have to say about Pittman when we do get to the Colts. So I'm kind of neutral on McLaurin. Uh, I don't really know too much what to do after this. Curtis Samuel seems like he's, Dad, I don't know if he's is or not. <laughs> um, the guy that I will draft a little bit is Jahan Dotson, and simply just 
making a bet on draft capital and not overthinking it. I know he's not the type of prospect that like analytically speaking that we like um, your thoughts yeah. on Dotson. No, I'm, I'm with you there. I, it, we're, it looks like we're actually really close on our Samuel projection, even like Deami Brown further down. You're a little higher on Dotson's targets. I'm a little higher on Logan Thomas's targets and I'm potentially wrong there correlatedly with the uh the michael gallup discussion where i may be a little too optimistic about these injury returns in my projections um if if thomas isn't back especially and, and if samuel's not like you said back to what he is maybe he's just dust now dotson definitely has room the logan thomas thing so beginning of the draft season i was taking him a lot it sounds like he had like a really bad injury like not just you know, your typical ACL tear. Um, Dorman and Levitan got me scared off it a little bit. Like even with that said, Herzig and I did a draft and, you know, we've got, and we took him at the end, like round 18, where he was basically free as a third tight end. If you can do that in a, uh, in a best ball league, if it's a three tight end build, I think that makes sense because when he comes back, this team is going to target the tight end position. It seems like, I mean, freaking John Bates was getting targets last year. Like dude, like, yeah, like Logan Thomas on a targets per game basis is a top 10 tight end, right? Like when he's there and healthy, probably I, uh, as we're talking, just moved some target share off of it. When you said, when he said that about his injury and moved it over to Dotson. Yeah. I, I think that makes sense. It's, he, he's the type of player where he, it works in a specific build in a specific format where you can ride out that injury. Uh, it's probably a wasted pick in most managed leagues because you're just not going to wait out the injury for that type of tight end. He is but the I type of guy that I might want to be thinking of on waivers. Like if he doesn't get drafted and I'm having tight end problems, like keeping my eye on that though. But I, I think you're right in identifying Dotson. I mean, this is not an offense we want to be in on. We've said that multiple ways, but like McLaurin, the running backs are going to catch some passes. Maybe there's no one else, but there is this potential for a second option. It could be Logan Thomas if he's healthy, but as we talk through this more, I'm I'm wanting to be a little bit in on Dotson. Dotson wasn't a bad prospect by any means. So somebody that uh, I think you're, you're definitely right to identify as the potential beneficiary of an open an open receiving tree behind McLaurin. Yeah, if you just look at you know like Dotson is going 1 2 3 4 5 6 7 8. I think he's like the wide receiver 8 off the board in terms of draft capital what was he like wide receiver 4 or 5? Yeah, first round pick. So yeah, not the worst bet you can make. We're going to finish this with the Giants, though. Team that I'm egregiously high on, Ben. Okay, uh, good. I, I was excited oh, to talk about them. This is going to be Dude, egregious. How do we – this kind of – again, we, we wind up on very similar play calling <laughs> stuff. We, we've bumped them to 63.5 plays per game. And Gable's going to speed things up a little bit. I have them even more aggressive pass rate than you. I have them at 63.4%. I think the reason the Bills were really high in pass rate over expectation had a lot to do with Dable. I think that was his offense. And I think they're going to be a very high PROE team or high-ish PROE team. So Okay, but then they're bet- also they're, they're going to be the Bills, but then a negative script. So this is when I went through this, I was like, okay, I made them slightly faster paced than league average. But I wrote the key in my notes. I wrote the key is if they pass within 10 early, they're also in negative scripts late. They could throw an absolute ton. 
They could be like that Panthers oh. team from a couple years ago that was like, I think, top five in pass attempts. I can't remember the year. I think it was the Kyle Allen year. Well, they were like a bad team, but still somehow like through um, – usually it's the good teams that are running the most plays and everything. But you could see a, a team here that doesn't win a lot of games but still manages to be way up there in pass attempts. Yeah, and – you know, an overly simplistic way to look at fantasy football, though, is like 90% of the players are roughly valued correctly because we have history on them. The roles maybe didn't change a ton. The players that you eat the most profit on are ones where we have uncertainty. Coaching changes, QB changes, rookies, you know, those types of situations. So for a team that goes from one of the stone worst coaches in the leagues, in the league to Brian Dable, who at least we know offensively is going to be fun. <laughs> I mean, there, there's so much that could go right here. So we just took the over on Daniel Jones's season long passing touchdown prop of 20.5 touchdowns, which, you know, Levitan is trying to fire me for taking an over because we're not allowed to take overs most of the time, but I snuck that one in there. Uh, but that was the second lowest passing touchdown prop on the board. Only Justin Fields had a lower passing touchdown prop. And that Love seems that. like maybe all overs are like not that good, but relative to the rest of the market, it certainly seemed mispriced. I have his past TD rate very low among all of the QBs I'm projecting, but because I have them throwing a lot, I have him at 24 and a half past TDs. I mean, and they might I throw even them. more as they we might throw even more. Too. Yes. So Daniel Jones is the quarterback that we are by far most ahead of ADP on right now. I mean, he could um, get benched. That's the, that's the way you lose that over. That's what Levitan is going to get you. <laughs> yeah, no, it is that there's, there's a lot of ways to lose, o- lose overs. There's only one way to win them. <laughs> yeah. Um, but damn, if there, if there's one quarterback that could potentially like out of the top 12 to 14 quarterbacks, make a run at a really good season. I think it's Daniel Jones. He's got the rushing chops He's got the potential pass volume and, you know, yeah, hopefully I, mean, I made a note here that there's even more rush upside than we've seen. If Dable brings over some of the design run stuff, he's done with Josh Allen and, and Jones has shown an ability to run a little bit. They've done some design stuff with him in, under other coaching staffs, but what if he starts to get some red zone carries, you know, or some of those QB sweeps that the bills run. What if they start doing some of that with Daniel Jones, Daniel Jones is not Josh Allen <laughs> by a long shot. Deion Jones looks like a guy who doesn't want to get hit. Josh Allen looks like a guy who's dying to hit somebody, but <laughs> um, there's still probably more meat on his rushing side as well. When a running back, unfortunately, the Saquon third round ADP did not last Ben. He's up to like middle of the second round, which I, mean, I hate to be boring, but I think that's appropriate. But I do think there's a world where we're like, why was this not, guy not being drafted top five? Like, yeah. Did that much change from when we were drafting him top five? And a lot of that circles back to how much stock you put into the injury risk. And to be quite frank about it, I'm not sure how much stock we should put into it. I generally, if I make a mistake, I've had a tendency to underplay the injury risk in situations. But for Saquon, like he recovered from the ACL injury. He had a different injury that wasn't long-term last year. In some ways, it's like... All right, we get him a little bit fresher two years from the ACL surgery. Like, should I uh, be that worried? I don't know. How do you feel about Saquon? I mean, I feel this exact same way. This guy was still an absolute elite talent coming in. 
and I'm I'm a sucker even for his quotes. Like he's like, I'm gonna make this team glad they drafted me. And he said this offseason. Like he seems really committed to coming back from two disappointing years because of injuries and whatever. I mean, why why do guys have slightly more efficient or slightly less efficient seasons? Maybe some of it is just a little bit of extra work in the in the weight room in the offseason. We don't know. I mean, I don't I don't know. We can't we can't figure that out with data, but he seems to have, uh, you know, the best shape of his life stuff. He's, he seems to be committed to that as well. But the the thing for me in the projection, who else do they have? I mean, they had Devontae Booker last year, who yeah. was pretty good. They brought in Matt Breida. Matt Breida's pretty old. He's a change of pace guy. Couldn't handle like a ton of additional work with the Bills last year. That's their number two. Their number three is like Gary Brightwell. I don't even have a number four in my projections right now. You don't have a projection for Gary Brightwell. I typed him into our little sheet. Like, do you, who are you projecting to back him up? I don't like. They're going to give him every uh, time. We have unlisted running back projected for some work. <laughs> like, so, yeah, like Barkley has the league winning upside. So, also, I mean, I know I will get no dispute from you, but outside of CMC, you know, my top three draft choices maybe even ahead of CMC. Well, I don't know, but I really like getting a wide receiver in round one because I think the top five wide receivers or so are really elite talents and they do separate from the other guys. And then I think the round two running backs, honestly, if we're looking at pure upside and we're not like worried about floor and safety and all that from a ceiling perspective, I don't think they're that different, you know? Yeah. I I really don't. So, you know, give me Barkley in round two with Jamar Chase in the middle of round one rather than, yeah. you know, Jonathan Taylor and, you know, a different wide receiver in round two. If you're playing that two V two game, I think Breda is actually like worth drafting in some yeah. managed leagues. I mean, you look again, look, go look at their depth chart. <laughs> like, what, what? The pure, the pure handcuff lottery ticket. Yeah. Okay. Wide receiver. I'm buying more giants. We're both in on Kadarius, Tony, we're pretty aggressive on Tony. You're more aggressive. You have 125 targets, which nuts out to 205 PPR points. This is probably my highest exposure player so far. Uh, last night, uh, Silva and I, again, an NFFC draft I keep referencing just because it's fresh in my mind, but we hit the onesie positions early. So it was like, oh shit, like we, we didn't hit wide receiver as much as we wanted to. And like, I was so glad to get Kadarius Tony in round eight, I think it was. Um, you can get him pretty consistently in like rounds eight through 10 uh, really in on Tony who I think you and I are both like, yeah, he was a bad prospect, but he had good draft capital and damn, he flashed in a way we didn't think he would flash in his limited time. That's where I'm at. Yeah. He was a leap per route last year. I mean, there's, there's concerns about, you know, he left uh, at least one game early with injury. He got thrown out of another one for, punching a dude right in front of an official with a helmet on, not the smartest decision in the world. Um, but when I did this, and so part of the reason I'm higher on him, because we're pretty close on Galladay and on Wondell Robinson, you're pretty high on Shepard still. This is one where the injury concern has flipped a little bit. He had an yeah. Achilles tear in December, and Achilles are even more concerning for me so I'm going to do a little bit of the injury fighting here where I like Sterling Shepard. I wanted to be on him as another maybe undervalued Giants target, but I don't see how he gets back from an Achilles tear in December. Yeah, I mean, he's going to miss 
the first half of the season and, and we might be too high on him. I've struggled with whether or not he's been even worth around 18 pick or not. Um, probably starting to lean more towards not unless it's a dime stack, in which case I could see just taking the round 18 swing. What's hard for me with Shepard is I do think if slash when he comes back, like he's going to be targeted on the field. It's just, he just always yeah. is. So yeah, he's got yeah good, that's a difficult one. Yeah, he's got good uh, numbers, you know, in the, in those regards in terms of his, his ability to earn targets, and that's why he looks like an interesting option. But that injury rehab will be a big thing to watch. But that gets you back to okay, we think this team's going to throw a ton. Shepard's got this Achilles that he might not be able to get back from. Kind of consolidates the targets to Tony to Kenny Galladay, who very inefficient last year, also apparently forgot how to earn targets because he used to be at least decent at earning targets. That fell off. But the big thing for me was like the the efficient after earning the targets, the, the yards per target was always really high in Detroit. We wouldn't have necessarily expected it to stay high, but absolutely cratered with Daniel Jones compared to how he used to you know, perform with Stafford. Some of that was his contested catchability, all of that. Playing a little hurt last year. I don't think this guy, he's like 28. He's not 90. I don't think he like suddenly forgot how to play receiver. So whether it's Tony, whether it's Galladay, and then Wondell Robinson is, is an underrated prospect. People don't like his size, but somebody who I also think is really worth stabs. But somebody is going to consolidate some target share, I think, because they don't really have a you know a clear tight end weapon either. And those three guys, I think, are all really nice values right now. Yeah. I mean, the Galladay thing, to your point, I think – the he's this year's Stefan Diggs stuff last year drove me nuts because it, it was a totally different situation in my opinion. But also to me, that makes this situation not that much different than maybe how we should view last year's, which is like, like we don't need him to be 25% plus target share guy. He wasn't going to be, we need him to be a 19% target share guy who has success down the field and scores touchdowns. And now in a high pass rate offense that might be more successful than last year, that's going to play and you're going to get six rounds cheaper than you got it last year. So uh, I'm in on all of these guys. Even if you're not stacking this offense, I mean, you're building a best ball team. You want to take a couple one-offs. Like we were just talking about like how much we think this offense could throw. This is, you know, the way to play it, like just get a piece of this Giants passing game that could throw a ton. It seems like one of these dudes. I mean, that's I doing my projection for them got me a lot more hyped on Tony, which I was a little indifferent on, but definitely can see the merits of. I'm not like super hyped on Galladay, but he's just too cheap. And then Wondell Robinson, again, underrated prospect, somebody I think you got to take some shots on late. But th this is just an offense. that's a fun one to take some wide receiver stabs on when they don't cost it anything. Yeah, your home leagues, these guys are going to be so, like Tony in your home league is going to be such an egregious value for the most part. Mm -hmm. Anything at tight ends? No, I, I kind of just split the targets. <laughs> I, yeah. I didn't want to deal with it. We got Daniel Bellinger running with the ones. Ricky Seals Jones and Jordan Akins came in as the vets for anyone who doesn't know their tight end depth chart. Akins did some stuff with Houston in the past. Ricky Seals Jones was doing some stuff with Washington last year. I think those guys will play a little bit. I don't think Bellinger's going to just take the job and run with it necessarily wasn't a great prospect. So I kind of just split up the targets. It looks like you guys have that the same. So yeah. How yeah. do you play that? I, I don't, I don't think there's enough emerge. volume upside. Yeah. 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 To keep, keep your eye on the situation, maybe act fast. If we see someone, you know, dominate the snaps week one, even if the production's not there, you might want to make a quick ad, but 
there's there's nothing you can do here as far as the draft goes. Yep. All right, that's episode two in the books. We've done the AFC East and the NFC East. Again, you can find all these on the Establish the Run YouTube channel and the Establish the Edge podcast feed on iTunes. You can catch my co-host in this special off-season projections podcast at bengretch.substack.com where he will have his very popular in-season weekly article, Stealing Signals. He's also on Stealing Bananas, the Rotoviz podcast with Sean Siegel. And you can find him Wednesday nights on Ship Chasing, their YouTube channel with Pat Crane and Peter Overset. Thanks, Ben. And thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back with episodes in a week or so from now and kind of keep working through division by division through the end of July. Thanks for listening.